You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's Thursday morning, so it's time for Shapiro World, mm. which is slightly late uh, because normally we speak to David Shapiro on a Monday afternoon, but he has gone off to the Antipodes, Australasia, in, to see his family. And so, uh, good day, mate. I hope I've caught you before you put another shrimp on the barbie. <laughs> David, <laughs> uh, sorry to interrupt your holiday and everything, but I think we need to speak Not because because I, I, I sense from your tweets and from a couple of chats we've had off air that you are incredibly frustrated and also quite upset about what's happening with Eskom. Uh, and how? You know, Lindsay, I, I know that the headlines are coming out that this is sabotage and um, they've been able to identify a person who's disconnected whatever it was, instruments at uh, Power Station, which I would assume is Madupi, uh, causing the issues. Now, you know, I'm not sure what the background to that is, but whatever it is, I mean, it's totally disrupted South Africa. And it came at a time when uh, we're trying to digest what's going to happen uh, to SAA. You know, I can't see them surviving. I think it's going to be, it's going to cause very deep political issues when um, the business rescue um, partner, what would you call him, uh, head, you know, whoever's running it, which is Les Madison, has to make some very serious decisions. There's going to be some kind of backlash and outcry. And we're suddenly now dealing with issues that I think are far worse than everyone expected. And I think that's what's bringing down uh, not only sentiment, but has really tippled those people, or as you said, you know, just over the edge um, from from where we are and almost causing a sense of uh, no hope or hopelessness, you know, that there is no way out. So that's that's what we're dealing with, people who are just kind of almost giving up and throwing in the towel. Because if we have to keep facing these issues, you know, which is holiday season comes and uh, every, you know, you, every day you're out for four hours. Lindsay, you're not, you're not experiencing it, but uh, this continual um, uh, load shedding has an enormous impact on your life and frust- you know, frustrating you um, just in your daily life. And I think that's, that's where... Uh, my sentiments are coming from. Yes, yeah, so in other words, something that people in Europe, for example, would take mm-hmm. for granted, i.e. going out and being able to sit uh, in, in a cafe or a restaurant mm-hmm. and uh, where the lights are on and the power is on and the kitchens are working is not a part of daily life occasionally in South Africa. And although it sounds sort of elitist, and a vast majority of the South African population hasn't had service delivery for many, many years. The point is mm. that it still does disrupt, and everybody suffers if there's that sort of disruption. Yeah, we don't have to. We don't have to judge ourselves by the lowest common denominator. In other words, we should be raising the bar, not lowering the bar. You know, that's the point. We can't keep going back and and saying, oh well, you know, most of the population have never been here. That's not where you want to be. Yes. Uh, you don't want to retrogress. You actually want to uh, bring forward a nation. You know, you want to catch up with the rest of the world. And all that it does is take us down. And when I heard that the mines have, uh, you know, had to stop production for fear of being caught underground or, or various other issues that would, you know, would, would uh, result if you had this uh, load shedding that was going on to stage six, which basically closes down the whole country. Um, then you know what trouble we're in. In any case, I think we're going to suffer the consequences. So this will be another recessionary year, and it sets a very low level of growth for next year. And we can't keep growing 
at below 1%. You know, we need to be growing at well above 2 3% or even much higher than that. And that's where the frustrations come in. I'm, I, I just live there. My job doesn't require a huge amount of electricity. You know, I could run on batteries, uh, yes. the kind of job that I do. <laughs> you know, but, Me too. But, um, you, you know, we, we lead very simple lives. We're talking on a phone now, and that's about the full technology that we need. But if you've got machinery going, and uh, you're, a, you're running a restaurant, a shop, a factory, whatever it is, and it also comes at a time now where you're trying to get orders out because uh, factories close on the weekend. So you're trying to get those last-minute orders out, and suddenly you're faced with this, this load shedding. So for an opposer to say, oh, no, there's going to be no load shedding from the 17th or whatever it is, which will be Tuesday next week right through to mid-January, is very easy because that's when the factories are closed. Right. <laughs> there's going to be no demand. <laughs> you, you understand? I mean, virtually uh, the whole of industrial South Africa closes down, so it's very easy for them to say that. And I'm sure they're shipping in uh, transformers or, uh, you know, with di- driven by, uh, sorry, you know, driven by diesel. I'm sure that those are coming in. But uh, it's, it's, it really is a serious situation. And I can't stress that, you know, strong enough. Talking about raising the bar, we maybe come back to that later on if you've got the time. But anyway, uh, let's have a look at what happened last night in the United States of America uh, because the U.S. Federal Reserve's Federal Open Market Committee uh, came to its decision after a two-day meeting. And here's something I've just seen. It says the U.S. dollar remains on the back foot after Jerome Powell, Mm. chairman of the U.S. Federal Reserve, clarified that his personal bar for raising rates is high. He wants to see significant and persistent inflation before hiking. Mm -hmm. And earlier, the Fed left rates unchanged as expected expected and signaled no changes in 2020 mm-hmm. no changes in i mean how can they look well, that far I, ahead I, because they've misled I, us before i agree with you i agree remember this year this time last year uh this was a time when they were going to raise rates and yes. that knocked the market into a complete stupor we we fell 20 percent, i think from october last year to to the beginning of January, I think uh, it was a massive fallout. And then they turned around and said, okay, uh, we're not going to. In fact, we're going to reduce rates, which they did three times. And now they're saying that they're not going to raise rates. So I I agree with you. I think they don't have to say that. You know, uh, I would prefer what they used to say before. They will just keep looking at the data. But I mean, to say that they're not going to raise. Mm, Exactly. Exactly. You know, we, we can live from quarter to quarter. It's quite okay. So I, I, I'm with you in that sense. I, I don't think we have to, we have to sketch out uh, as far as the end of next year because you have absolutely no idea, uh, you know, what can happen, and particularly in a volatile in, um, political environment. Uh, listen to this. Shares of Saudi Aramco surged to 38.7 rials mm. apiece, or $10.32, in their second day of public trading, pushing the kingdom's record IPO to a gargantuan $2 trillion valuation and hitting Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman's long-held target for the company. Now, that tells you in that first paragraph what's going on. They listed and the Saudis bought in order to get it to yes. two trillion because it, <laughs> yes. it, it, it's, it's a badge yeah. of honor. It's like having the tallest skyscraper in the Middle yeah. East. That is what they wanted. Yeah. They wanted two trillion and they want to say to the Qataris and to people mm. in Dubai, look what we can do in Saudi Arabia mm. and to the world, this is who we are. We are now bigger than the five biggest oil mm. companies combined. Yeah. Well, well, you see, it doesn't make sense because they went out and tested the market. And uh, they tested, I think they tested the market at a higher price. 
nobody was buying. And therefore, what they did is lowered the price, but they reduced the amount of shares on offer, which is really a pitiful number. I mean, it's less, what's the one and a half percent of the company or thereabouts and that. So yes. there's no doubt that uh, some friendly forces have come in and uh, helping this one along. Uh, otherwise, if it was such a, if it was such a grab, you know, people would have gone in before that institutions globally would have just uh, snapped up shares. Listen, no doubt it's a very profitable company, but you've got an oil price, which is extremely difficult now to uh, to forecast. There's a glut of oil. I don't think there's any shortage of oil. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I think you've got to be slightly cautious or suspicious about the movements that we're seeing now. Very, very suspicious indeed. Uh, it's not the time for you to be um, analysing day-to-day movements because you're with your family and you're having fun over there. Uh, just briefly give us uh, an idea of the mood in Australia at the moment because of the, uh, I think the, the, the main thing, I mean, apart from the, the little island near to you, New Zealand, and the volcanic eruption, I think the main thing is these wildfires. And every single year I think to myself, yeah, well, yeah. It's, it's not unusual. <sighs> every single year it gets worse and worse and worse. Know, there must be something that can be done clearing I, the forests or something i don't know you, you know one of the one of the and and i'm merely reflecting i'm not going to comment by comment is i'm not taking sides but one of the issues is that when these fires occurred in the past uh there was what something called a back burner or a backfire in other words you light a fire which becomes a break and therefore it can't spread yes. so you create and and apparently the greenies or the uh would not allow this to happen. So I think there was a bit of a reaction, and now it's out of control. So there is a there is a political issue around it, which I don't want to get involved with. And in fact, I'm not even sure that I'm giving the right kind of um, comment on it or uh, scenario. But I know that there are issues about uh, about you know how they used to stop this in the past. But there, there are this is this uh, um, climate change is is a massive issue here. And uh, very, very sensitive because, you know, we know Australia is a, a um, you know, is a big coal producer. But there's a huge backlash now against, uh, you know, further coal production and uh, expanding that area. And uh, I don't know what the consequences are. I'm just finding these things out in, in conversation. And I haven't been here all that time. But, I mean, there are a lot of issues around this. Uh, I was discussing with my my brother this time, you know, uh, around the various parties, you know, between Labour and Liberals and their various views. And climate change is 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 one of the massive subjects and very sensitive in in Australia. So um, I think this is what got Turnbull kicked out of the Labour Party, uh, the Liberal Party, was that he was uh, the La- the Liberal Party is quite conservative in their views, and you know. Uh, particularly because of their base in Queensland, where the coal miners are. And apparently, Al Turnbull was shifting um, more from centre-right to centre-left. And I think that caused a lot of pop, uh, uh, un- you know, caused uh, a lot of um, issues with him, being made him very unpopular. So those are the, we, you know, it's, it's a very sensitive issue here in, in, in Australia, far more than, than anything we experience in South Africa or certainly even in Europe. Are you a climate change um, embracer or denialist? Uh, no, I'm I, I'm embracing it. You know, I embrace it in that I think it's the right way to do things. Um, 
but I'm but not. But you believe there is climate change because I spoke to somebody the other day, a I, very very clever mm. fellow, and I sent him a tweet and I said, we were about to conduct a podcast, and I said, do you want to talk about climate change? And he says, define climate change. I'm not afraid yeah, of yeah. CO two. I mean. I can't understand no, that. No, Look at the graphs. No. Look at the statistics. No. I don't understand how okay. anyone can okay. say that. I, you know, where I take a stand is that um, I agree with uh, uh, with messing up the environment. You know, whether it's the the forests in um, in in South America, yeah, I, they they might have their case that they have to earn a living, and if you want us not to do this, then then compensate us. But I think that. Globally, there is a responsibility to live clean and, uh, you know, not to mess with the environment. I can't give you the results. I can't answer, you know, I can't answer uh, scientific questions on it. But uh, all that I do believe is that we it's the right way to behave and it's the right way to uh, uh, listen. You're a, you, you know, you know, Cape Townians. So I take it even a step further. You know, when I see something that's ugly. Like those three, those three salt cylinders that sit below Table Mountain. Those are the kind of things that that offend me. So yes. I take it to extremes. It's not only the natural environment. Sometimes it's it's the way we mess cities. And even if you look at Cape Town, you know. So I take a strong stand. The way that they've chipped into the mountains and you know to build houses for some very rich people. So that's 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 my sentiments. You know, you know, it goes beyond. Uh, it's 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 just beyond what the, we're doing to the natural environment. It's what we, which I suppose that is that that fits within that category. You know, have you seen why do you need to why do you need to chip away at rock that has been there for billions of years to build houses? So I know yes. you know that's, well, that's that's because you're an artist, David. I mean, you're you're not a frustrated yeah. artist. You are an artist. I mean, apart from being uh, an expert in financial services for decades, the fact is that you you are an artist, and that is coming out in what you've just said. Yeah, so I'm saying that's you know from from me, uh, just leave the environment you know, don't mess with it, etc. And for us to, I I used to fly. I mean, I I saw them uh, what what happened to Johannesburg with the with the gold mines, and I know that at that stage that was progress and that gave us the foundation for where South Africa is today. But uh, you don't want to see that reoccur. You know, you never want to see that. And look at look at what's happened to the slime dams in South America. Vale um, and and uh, places like that. So, um, yeah, I'm very conscious of of the way that that man behaves towards the environment. Very good. Uh, what about man behaving towards whoever is going to lead the United Kingdom? Because the, oh, the, the yeah. polling stations are, are open now, and the mm. general election 2019, the third in five years, has just begun. Uh, begun, mm. and uh, people are voting. And I just think that there could be a surprise here. I mean, I don't know if the, oi, if, oi, if oi, the oi. poms. I mean, you're in Australia, so I can call them poms. Mm. Uh, I don't know if the poms are that fired up about it. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's going to be a surprise. We had a we had a Brexit surprise. We had a Trump surprise. Maybe there's going to be a surprise here. Maybe, and please, this is my hope, whoever gets in or whatever result there is means that Brexit is not going to happen because this election <laughs> is a defining moment in the UK's history. And, and how I was reading The Economist who, who actually went for the Lib Dems yes. and said that they represent uh, the way to go. Uh, they, they wanted neither party to win. You know, They found that 
Um, I don't know how they – I wish I had it in front of me now, but they summed it up beautifully. In that, the problem uh, is, David, yeah. so it's interrupt because mm. I have to because otherwise I'll, Not I'll, at all. I'll, I'll forget my point. Um, I said exactly the same thing yesterday. I would vote for the Lib Dems if it weren't for the fact mm. that uh, Swinson, uh, their leader, is so inexperienced and looks so out of place. If, mm. if she was a little bit more experienced, if she was a little mm. bit more domineering, if she was a little bit more forceful and articulate mm. and erudite, I would definitely vote for the Lib Dems. Yeah. because the other mm. two are both unpalatable. Well, I think that's exactly how they put it. And uh, they actually encourage people to uh, to vote that way. Um, so I, I don't know how it's going to uh, how it's going to end up, but I think from from the whichever way it goes, I think for the British economy it's going to be very difficult. Um, and a hard Brexit, I understand what you mean by hard Brexit. I think it's going to have severe consequences. You know, at the end they'll come through it. But I'm, I like to look at uh, global investing, and to be honest, uh, the companies that we might invest in in the UK are not really affected by by um, trade in the US or by, you know, they don't rely on the USA, they're international companies. So from that point of view, I think we'll just get on with it. But I think in the UK, it's going to be, we're in for a very, very difficult time. I'm, I'm, not, in, I'm not enthralled by either of them. No. Uh, I don't know enough about them to argue with you, but I'm just saying the little I know, um, I, I also feel very disillusioned by by where the UK could go. And this is this the best we could produce? You know, and I think we're asking that question globally: Is this the best we've got? You know. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. Anyway, back to South as Africa. Long as, as long as they don't mess up with uh, with soccer and the import of players, you know. Oh no, they uh, must never do that. No, you know, that's uh, what I'm saying. That would be disastrous. <laughs> I, I can remember in the old days when Ozzy Ardiles and what was his name, Ricardo Villa, came to Tottenham, and yep. you were you were allowed two players to that's come in, right. and then it oh. switched did the same thing. They had Arnold Buren <laughs> and Franz Tyson coming in from Holland. Uh, Bobby Robson, the great yeah. visionary, brought in, and you were allowed two players. But don't mm. mess around with that, please. I mean, that no, is no. That's part of that's part of, <laughs> no. part of the British DNA. Anyway, it's talking my about biggest football. problem. Yeah, I get lots of tweets about us um, talking about football and these rugby players and these rugby fans really hate, hate us for that. But anyway, Merry Christmas to them, uh, David. <laughs> it's been a rotten year on the JSE, hasn't it? And yeah, in, in the yeah, South African boardroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it has. Um, the What saved the JSC, and I think at the end it depends how you measure it, whether you measure total return. I don't, I don't always look at total return because that includes dividend. I always say, what was the price at the beginning of the year? What's the price at the end of the year? Because that's how we measure things, you know, in – in, in broking terms, you know, what did I buy it at? What did I sell it at? Forget about the dividends along the way. Of course, that is a benefit, but uh, it'll be a 5% gain for the uh, for the JSE, maybe at the end of the year, uh, maybe 6%. Compare that with the US as 20% and above. But I think underneath that, if it wasn't for gold and platinum shares and a few miners, it would have been an absolute disaster year. And I think the RAND, we also saw a slight recovery in some of the shares like Richmond and British American Tobacco, you know, from very low basis. But, I mean, if you look at SA Inc., it's been a disaster. I was going through the, you know, we're evening now. It's uh, This morning I was going through some of the, you know, what's happened over the year. And when I look at the destruction that's taken place in retail shares, 
Um, it's been a very, very awful year for uh, and uh, for for SA Inc. That would include, I think, industrial shares, things like Udeka, Invicta, companies like that have been destroyed. The construction industry has been destroyed. You know, I can't use words hard enough. I mean, the numbers that we've written down have, have you know have have matched any of the worst slumps that we've seen uh, in the time that I've been on the market. But it has been masked by you know, by gains in uh, some of the some of the mining shares. So I think, but for for people who are invested in mid mid caps and small caps, and um, it's been very very difficult here, Lindsay. It really has, and looking forward to 2020 because I'm not going to bother you again when you're on your family no. holiday in Australia. Um, looking forward to 2020, I'm still hearing the same drum being beaten by certain fund managers saying 2020 is going to be a good year. There's lots of value out there. Yes, there is lots of no. value out there, but the value can become even more valuable <laughs> during the 2020 I, period, if you see what I mean. I agree with you. I don't think this is going to be a quick turnaround in the economy. I think the economy is going to battle. And I spoke to you this, you know, I think last week I've spoken to you about this before. I think what happens is the companies have managed to keep profits alive by cutting costs and, and cutting back on capex or maintenance issues, you know, uh, which are necessary to keep companies going. But third year into this, it starts to tell. You know, you need, we need the revenue line, and I don't think we're going to get it. So I would rather err on the side of caution. I don't think this is a turnaround. We've got the weight of money, you know, which is always an issue because pension funds, you know, people still working, they contribute to the pension funds, money finds its way into institutions, and that can support the market. But uh, I don't know for how long. You know, the signs that I've seen uh, worry me a lot. And I think, if anything, we might just maintain where we are. So um, while I'm not that negative on global markets, I think we'll do okay. Corporate profits will pick up. Um, I can't say the same thing about South Africa. I don't. I just don't see it. I see. I see consumers under enormous pressure, and I see business confidence just continue to plunge. And when we have situations like SAA and Eskom, uh, this is no quick. There's no quick fix to this. David, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for taking time out from your family holiday. That's David Shapiro, who's the Deputy Chairman of Sassman Securities in Johannesburg, speaking to us from Sydney, Australia. That podcast was proudly brought to you in association with sharenet.co.za. Visit strictlybusinesspodcast.com and subscribe to receive exclusive content straight to your inbox.